Hi, I'm Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome to North Star Big Book. I love the Big Book, as you know, and I just recently started a series where I ask people who are in my life who also love the Big Book if they would pick um, a few pages or a part of the book that they love, because we want to hear the, the Big Book is boring if you read it on your own and you don't understand it, but when someone that cares about it and that feels intensely passionate about it shares with you something that they love about it or that really gets them, it makes it come alive. And so today I have such a gift to get to have Marianne on. Marianne um, is one of the women in my life through another woman in my life. Um, in another past time, I lived in Boston. And whenever I hear the Boston accents that come through on my um, big book pod, on the big book meeting on Thursday nights, I feel I just miss it because I lived there for a bit of time. And Marianne is on fire with the book. She's excited. She works with women. She cares about what's in here. And she's one of my go-to people now. And so I've asked her to come on. So welcome, Marianne. Thank you, Carly. Introduce yourself. Okay, I'm Marianne. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hi, Marianne. Um, will you tell us your sobriety date? 8228. Oh, coming up. Now you know now you know what all my code locks are. <laughs> Marianne, tell me what part of the book we're looking at today. So we're going to look at um, starting with the bottom of page 65 and going into 66 and 67. So this is in the middle of fourth step. Okay. Tell and, the listener how we even get to the fourth step. Like give us a few sentences, a little background about like how we got here, when we got here, how long we need to wait to get here. Oh, seriously, don't wait to get here. So, you know, after um, you've met uh, a sponsor who's um, gone through this work and sat down and talked to them and you've been, been qualified through one, two, and three, meaning I, well, I had to be taken through the doctor's opinion to find out that I was an alcoholic. I had come to Alcoholics Anonymous knowing I was an alcoholic and not knowing anything about what that meant until my sponsor read me the doctor's opinion. But you know, to find out that I'm powerless, my internal life is unmanageable by me alone. Um, you know, I've, I'm willing to come to believe because I had a big problem with that. I, I had a big problem with the God part, but, um, you know, I, I knew I needed another power, a different power, which I saw in the halls of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I decided to make this decision, you know, with my sponsor's help to go through with the process and try to seek this higher power that other people are living with and relating to and having a relationship with that is like totally boggling to me. And so then in our book, it says next. And, and the idea of next is we launch, you know, we start before you get there. I'm so excited that you said something. So you laid out one, two, and three so beautifully. And three, the way that you said it just now was it's a decision to go through with the process. I always say it's a decision to go to do the work. But really, what was explained to you when you found out you were an alcoholic by someone taking you through and really identifying the physical allergy, mental obsession, and not, I love that in step two, you didn't even have to talk about a relationship with God because you were not there or might ever be there, depending on where you are spiritually. What step two is about, you said, is you were just, you knew you needed a different power. That the power that was in your life, um, for me was myself, was not working. And then your sponsor out of the book showed you, this is the process that we do that gets us free. And all you did in step three was to decide to try our process. 
And what's really important about that is AA offers only one, we always say solution, but it's really a process. It's, we offer, we have one protocol, right? So we're yeah, in the middle of a pandemic. There's, a, we, there's many ideas about how to fix that. We only have one for alcoholism. Yeah, it was explained to me as like a process and a procedure, right? So it's just, you know, following directions, which, okay, I get here and I am totally screwed with that because I cannot read, take, or follow directions. So I'm like, oh, I am so screwed, right? Because I can see the steps on the wall and I can't work them off the wall and the directions are in the book. I find that out, but I can't read, take, or follow directions. You know, I... I'd love to tell you my whole story, but I had a previous trip to Alcoholics Anonymous. And so coming back, you know, I, I, w- I was like, I'm, I'm a disaster. Like, I don't know how to do this. And I met a woman, Nikki, who you sponsor, who, uh, you know, every time she opened her mouth, she just, she talked about the big book and she talked about her sponsor. And those two pieces of information were so crucial to me because I knew she knew what she was talking about because she was talking out of the book and I knew she was tethered to somebody. She was tethered to you. And so she was doing the work, right? Yes. And that was so important to me. So I just asked her to read me the book and I didn't even know that meant she was my sponsor. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say at a certain point, I was like, oh, I'm embarrassed to say I don't have a sponsor. And she's like, yeah, you kind of do. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh you're it. Like that's you're it. I did not know about what was happening to me. But I want the listener to know that you've got two people on here who love the big book, who do not know how to follow directions, who hate directions. When I see directions, I actually feel intensely uncomfortable. And my go-to now with my three kids is to just tell them to go on YouTube and tell me to, how to figure it out. Because I, so what I want the listener to know is even if you hate directions like us, for whatever reason, and I think the reason for me is because I became so miserable with what I was doing, and nothing was working. And for me, the only time I'm willing to do anything that takes actual work is when what I'm doing is no longer working. Yeah, and honestly, the thing for me was, you know, when I tell my story, I always say, you know, it was like my sponsor, like we're walking in deep snow and she's walking in front of me and she's putting these deep footprints in and all I'm doing is stepping into those footprints. Like she, she's not, telling me what to do. She's telling me what she did. Yes. And she's saying, this worked for me. Yes. I believe it will work for you. Like you're going to have your own experience, Yes. but I can show you what I did. And that yes. is totally different than somebody telling me what to do. Cause we all know you, we don't like to be told what to, what to do. No, yeah. I love this. Thank you for that. Setup. Okay. Take us to 64. That was awesome. Okay, so at the bottom of 65, so we've, we've written our first three columns in the work. You know, we've talked about, like, who we're angry at, you know, a tiny little piece. Clarify which inventory you're talking about, because there's four inventories. Oh, I'm sorry, correct. You, we're talking about the resentment inventory. Awesome. Okay, go ahead. And so we've written down, you know, who we're angry with, uh, a little bit about what, the, what they did to us, and then what did it affect. And at the bottom of 65, reading in, right, it says... Um, you know, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. And that's when I was told to come to a full stop. Come to a full stop and look at those three columns. Because I'm looking at like, what's the common denominator? (laughs) The common denominator is me. Yeah, I am mad at all of these people, places, institutions, things, concepts. And that's what's causing me pain, right? My being angry, because they're not changing. And 
so I come to this full stop and then it says the first thing a parent and I love when the book says things like that like it says obviously and I go um that was not obvious to me or he <laughs> says you know it it is plain and I'm like it's not plain to me so he says it's apparent that this world and its people were often quite wrong and to conclude that they were wrong was as far as most of us ever got and that's me I never got farther than that. Why, right. why would I? I mean, because my case was so, to me, it was so compelling what you did. And most likely the people that I was telling it to were so sick of me talking that they just were ready to move on. So I never even had to address my part. Correct. And I'm right. I'm seeking allies who are going to jump on board with my story. And I'm going to keep replaying the story and it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I was just standing there doing nothing and that person attacked me. <laughs> You know what I want to address, which is totally jumping ahead, but you'll appreciate this. I find I've done this before and I see it with sponsees. Sometimes we're doing that with our sponsor in a 10 step inventory. When we tell them too much of the story in the inventory to, we're trying to seek them as an ally. And I was doing an inventory this morning about something I was resentful at. And I was thinking about it in my meditation. And I was like, I don't need to share that first paragraph in my mind because that has nothing to do with the resentment. That's just my explanation so my sponsor knows why I'm really this resentful but what we really need to look at in this inventory that you're talking about is what am I resentful at not why not the whole thing well or that I'm attached or that I'm attached to it I'm attached to being right yeah so he starts saying you know he, he so Bill Wilson then starts talking more about you know a life that includes deep resentment leads to a futility and unhappiness. Um, and he, he starts telling me that, you know, if I want to grow spiritually, if I want to get rid of that, you know, self-hatred, you know, that's what I look at as spirituality is the, the quality of my inner life, the quality of my interior condition, right? And when I get here, I hate myself. And and it's so my interior condition is like terrible and I never think that's going to change. I have a question for you. Yeah. Did you know when you first approached the fourth step that you were resentful? Um, I did know that I, yes, because when it was explained to me that it's just like replaying a story, like go and look for the stories that I keep replaying because as my sponsor and I are going through the book, one of the things she's, she's doing is we're talking about our old ideas. What are my old ideas? What are things that I believe that may or may not be true? Right. Just because I believe them doesn't mean that they're true. Right. And it tells us in our book, whether they're right on the same page, whether fancied or real, they have the power to kill. Oh. The reason why I asked you that question was until it was explained to me what a resentment is, I thought it meant, are you angry? And I was like, no, I'm not an angry person, which I actually am. I just didn't know. <laughs> I'm yeah. actually a really angry person on the inside. I have to do a lot of work to get rid of all my stuff. And, but when it was explained, like you just said, are you rethinking or replaying or refeeling something? I'm like, that's all I do. Like, who doesn't do that? And apparently a lot of people. So seriously, in the book, I, now I don't know the page number, but you know, there's this line where it talks about our growth having to do with our constant thought of others. And we, we get to that line. And I said to Nikki, I was like, I have to constantly think of others. And she's like, well, I think at the time she was like, well, as often as possible, <laughs> she was trying not to freak me out. <laughs> but what I realized was I was constantly thinking of others, but it was how I was thinking of them. And how I was thinking of people is that you're in my way, 
you're not doing what I want. I'm not getting what I want. You know, you're bugging me. I mean, I'm looking at everything from, you know, my perspective. I'm not taking into consideration anybody else. I mean, that's right. I wasn't thinking of like my partner and like all the things they were struggling with. I was thinking about my partner and what they were pissing me off about. Absolutely. I want, I want you, I, the, my ideal part, like, just be convenient. Could you just be convenient? So like, do, do what I want. Don't and then don't say me. anything else. And don't yeah, ask. Don't me else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me I'm funny and pretty and we're fine. Yeah. <laughs> Keep going. You're awesome. We're not going to get anywhere. Okay. Hold on. So we are. All right. Sorry. So, you know, he, he starts talking about this key to the future. And he says, we're going to look back at our list again. And it has this key to the future. And we're going to look at it from an entirely different angle. This was our course. And here's the thing. He says this mind-blowing thing. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. And this is mind-blowing to me. Because I'm not thinking that about other people at all. I'm not thinking about other people at all, except what they're doing to me, right? And what they're not doing for me. And so Bill Wilson starts to introduce this concept and, and he doesn't, like it doesn't say it, but here's the thing. Resentments are overcome with forgiveness. So the opposite of a resentment is a forgiveness, right? Harms are overcome with amends. So he's setting us up. And, and where I go back to is, so I'm gonna take a little trip through the book for a minute. In the Roland Hazard story, when Roland Hazard is sitting in front of Carl Jung and he spends a year with him understanding his mind and all the psychology and stuff, you know, Roland Hazard's like, okay, I know myself so well, blah, 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 and goes out and he drinks. And then he comes back. And, and Carl Jung says to him, I've been trying to make these rearrangements in you. And the only thing I know that's going to work for you is a spiritual experience. Okay, so then we fast forward to Bill's own personal story. And in Bill's story, you know, he's in the hospital and Ebby, you know, Ebby's visited at home. He's finally in the hospital again, uh, town's hospital again. And Ebby comes back and they run through his steps, like in the hospital, bang. And Bill has this white light experience. And, and it's so profound for him that he, he sees the truth. He knows there's his own God and he's free, right? But then when he's writing the book, he's tasked with like helping us to make that change, right? So now he has to introduce these concepts. Like he sort of got his as a big white light. I'm not that guy. I'm the, I'm the spiritual um, awakening slowly guy. Me too. Like I had to learn it. And that's one of the best words in the book. It says we can learn this, right? So I get to learn by having an experience. So here we have it, right? We realize the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. And though I didn't like what they did to me and what they affected, they are sick too. Okay, I want to stop for a second. Yeah. During my big book meeting on Thursday nights, which everyone is welcome, it's Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern time, um, yeah. Marianne said something that I'd never heard before. So in my book, I have really big written anger prayer on 67 um, because I was told this is the resentment anger prayer. And what did you call it instead? The forgiveness prayer. Okay, keep going. I thought that was okay. Strange. So here's the thing, because I'm going to totally give credit. I did not come up with this. There's there's a gentleman in our program. Come up with nothing. Who <laughs> no, but I really didn't come up with this. I mean, do not think. I, I went to a conference um, in Boston. Uh, it's called the Freedom Trail Conference, and this was a couple of years ago. And I heard this gentleman, Dave F, 
And this guy, if you think we're on fire with a big book, he is like, he dissected the whole thing. I mean, he's amazing. He's a wealth of information. And um, I'm sure you could find him online, Deva. But I want to find him. I want him on here. You'll have to help me. Seriously. He's okay, so, so interesting. In any event, he started talking about this as the forgiveness prayer. And like Carly, you know, I had had this um, page dog-eared in my book as the angry man's prayer or the, uh, for years and years and years. But you know how, Carly, you always talk about like, um, I want to get an, a God upgrade. You know, I, want, yes. I am always looking for a different perspective. Like every prayer I ever pray is God help me to see this differently. You know, I'm handcuffed to my perception of events. Help me see it differently. You would say zoom out, you know, right. can I get a broader perspective? And, and like, okay, earlier in the book, back in the We Agnostics chapter, it says, you know, we shouldn't let um, spiritual terms deter us from asking ourselves what they mean to us, right? So in that area specifically that we're talking about God, but I would posit, you know, what about humility? Like humility is a concept that can be really challenging. It was challenging for me. Forgiveness. Forgiveness mm. is a challenging concept because it doesn't mean that, you know, we, we condone, oh, I have somebody else's notes on my desk. I wonder if I could find them. And it's so big. It's, it's, I'm 21 years sober and forgiveness is one of those things that I felt when I first approached the word humility, when I was newer, like I, it is so big that I feel like I'm looking at the globe and I don't even understand very much of it. I understand that I'm supposed to forgive others, but I also believe that there's something about we're supposed to forgive ourselves here. So I want you to keep going. And okay, I was going to bring that up too. So at a different conference, I heard somebody um, start reading the chapter where it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly forgiven themselves. Oh. And I was like, yes. And I went, oh my gosh. Like what if that is the entire point, right? What if that's, right? So I had one of those like, whoa. Yes. Moments. Okay, so forgiveness. I mean, I can tell you what it means for me. Like to me, when you talk about zooming out, like to me, forgiveness is like overlooking. Like, can I overlook the situation? Can I see the situation the way God sees the situation? Yes, and, that's and the biggest one. Right, to just, and I'm not saying like, oh, because I'm above everybody else and I'm better. It's not that, but can I get a broader perspective? Because like, say for example, when I'm, you know, making amends later on, like most of the people I hurt, of course I didn't mean to hurt them. Right. I was really sick and that doesn't excuse what I did, but it's like, okay, Bill's introducing this concept. Did I ever pause to consider that other people were sick too? And I'm like, no, I'm not thinking of other people at all, right? But he introduces this concept, right? And then he says, so this is how the forgiveness prayer lays out according to Dave F and his, his experience. So he takes these 12 elements. So he takes tolerance, pity, patience, cheerfully, friend, helpful, God save me from being angry, thy will be done, retaliation, argument, kindly, and tolerant view. And what he does is he takes these 12 elements, I love that there's 12 of them, mm -hmm. and he works them into a prayer. And it's a way, and I've used it, you know, like, 
please help me to show this person tolerance. You know, I know something must have been going on with them in order for them to have been able to do to me what they did. You know, I want to show them some kind of, okay, here's another thing he's starting to introduce, compassion, mm. pity, right? Compassion or empathy. Or you right? know what else is like, so you're saying this, as you're laying this out, on 67 at the way top, um, the first thing they're trying to do in the book is they're trying to have us relate that we are also sick. And I've always glossed over that. Like, yeah, 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 I get it. We're sick and they're sick. We're all sick. But what I really got is, you know, like you said, none of us have ever wanted to hurt people. Even when we tried to hurt people, we were just hurt people. We were hurt people that hurt people, right? And so when I've gone to my higher power and I've asked for forgiveness because I don't want to live like that anymore and I'm, I'm ashamed and I feel horrible, I need to remember that these people that hurt us, that we need to forgive, also potentially might feel the same way. I need to give them that benefit of the doubt in order for me to get free. And then I need to think about, which is the hardest prayer I have with God, is help me see this person the way that you see this person. Because the way that God sees me, God doesn't see me as the person who does all these faults. God sees me as perfect with all of my faults. And I need to try to see this person that hurt me the same way. So that's so helpful for me, the way you just framed that. Well, if I can see that I'm sick and then extend that and say, wait a minute, you mean that thing they did wasn't personal to me? Like they were lashing out. You know, I see it like at work where, you know, my boss gets stressed and so he might, you know, lash out or something. And it's like, I know it's not personal. He's stressed, right? And so on, on certain days, like if I'm spiritually fit, I'm fine with it. And I, I go, oh, he's just stressed. And on days when I, then I'm like, ooh, I'm spitting in your coffee. Like it's not going to go yes. well for you. <laughs> not completely recovered today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that whole thing, right? You know, when he's talking about, so Bill goes back, let's bring it back. So tolerant view, right? So now he says, referring to our list again, right? Can I put out of my mind the wrongs they've done and look for my own mistakes? And like, say for example, you know, later, I'm gonna kind of jump ahead. In my 10th step, you know, I added this line that actually comes from the, the 12 and 12, where he says, an equal willingness to forgive when the fault lies elsewhere. Mm. So like, if I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but you know, if I don't owe an amend for something because I haven't harmed them, but is it possible that I could forgive them for their having made a mistake? You know, an equal willingness to forgive when the fault lies elsewhere. Because that was not my old way, you know, especially if you had made a mistake, okay, I'm gonna store that information and I'm gonna use it on you later, right? Yeah. Or I'm gonna, yes. my feelings are gonna be so hurt. Because I'm a scorekeeper. Oh, I'm, oh, totally. Yeah, that's totally. my I'm, most uncomfortable one. And, and you know what I found out at 11 years of sobriety, I was like thinking about all the scores I was keeping was that not one time since I've been sober has anyone asked me what the score was. (laughs) No one. Nobody even cares. I'm the only one who cares. God doesn't care. The other person certainly doesn't like hearing the score, especially when it's my partner. Like, they're like, okay, like, when are you going to let go of the score? Yeah. Like, there's not like a chip to turn in. No. I mean, and that's the thing. When I start valuing my serenity, when I start Mm. valuing how I feel when I'm at perfect peace and ease and comfort, right? I don't want to give that up for like, 
little things. You know what I mean? I don't want to give them up for big things, but like yes. sometimes I do. Um, but then, yeah, so then we, we continue. But all I'm saying is in that section, and he sort of wedged it into four-step, and I feel like, well, I'll say for myself. For myself, I blasted through it, because all I'm trying to do is get to, to my column so I can get this thing out, so I can, you know, get it done. I'm, you know, I'm new when I'm writing this, I'm new, and I'm seriously, like, checking a box. Like, I'm just trying to jam yes. through four-step. You know, my sponsor's telling me to do this, I'm like, what you know right yeah what i'm doing but i'm willing i'm trying to be willing but yeah so i would just say like going back and looking at it again right getting to see it a little bit differently and, and i've used this you know i i recently had a resentment that came up and it really wasn't i don't want to say it wasn't enough to do a 10 step but it was like really bugging me mm -hmm. so that's enough that's that's enough <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. The way you know you need to do a 10 step is if what you're thinking about is keeping you from this present moment, which is the only place where God is. So if you're thinking about it, you do a 10 step. Right. But like, say, for example, it was, it was kind of like a wedge issue. Like it wasn't enough to say I was angry. At but you were thinking step. about it. No, no. But all I'm saying is what yeah. I ended up doing was doing this. Okay. Let's sat down take him through it. So I sat down. Oh, I don't know if I would say in, in, podcast land like, you don't have to give us the details i wonder where i wrote because i wrote it down but you know i was seeing i was seeing something from a perspective of making two people responsible for something that wasn't actually their fault and could i get yeah could i get to that place like I wish I could find it. I should have prepared for that better. But um, yeah, I'm a little stuck here That's about okay. how I use do it. Have, do you have um, a resentment that you can think of that you could easily put through this? I actually don't. Could I give you one? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Okay. So this one is really touchy. And okay. I want to acknowledge that... Um, I'm very aware that this is going to bring up some stuff for other people, but I am unable to read this page in the big book for 20 years of sobriety without thinking of this person. Okay. Even, even though I understand that there's a lot of moving pieces with it. So I'll set the stage and you can walk me through it. I was a year sober, not working the steps, just had done my inventory, but then like kind of stopped, was doing like half ass of everything was very uncomfortable in my skin and needed um, outside attention to, to fulfill my worth. And I ended up hooking up with a guy in AA who was also new. And we went back to his place and, with the intention of fooling around, which we did. And then I said I wanted to stop and he didn't. And he ended up raping me. And I held on to a lot of guilt because I went back there. I took off my clothes. I did a lot of things. Today, as a 41-year-old woman, I know that it doesn't matter how many things I did. When I kept saying no, 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 that was called rape. My problem today, and then when I, after that happened, um, unfortunately, I wasn't guided properly, and I wish I would have gone and done what I needed to do at that time. And instead, I had to encounter him at meetings, and it was very uncomfortable. Um, he ended up going out, and I've run into him a couple of times since then, um, never to speak. But... When I look at this part of the book, I would have to pray and I would say, 
I had to say, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? And I wanted to throw up when I would say that. God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Um, but when I look at this part of the book, I always think about him because I share with the women I work with that I was able to use this prayer to help me get free of that. But the truth is I'm never going to be free of that until you help me understand this forgiveness. So can you help me walk through this? Because I feel like there's forgiveness for two people, for him and for myself. So the first thing I would say to you is I am really sorry that happened to you. Yeah, me too. I am really sorry. And so I listened to another speaker, his name's Ralph White. And he said, you know, the thing about holding on to a situation, a resentment where we are justified because somebody did something really horrible to us. He said, poison don't recognize poison. Mm. And, I love that. And so the thing to realize about forgiveness, it doesn't mean we excuse the behavior. It doesn't mean we exonerate the behavior and it doesn't mean we condone the behavior, right? Right. And so say, for example, for me, it's funny, I'm not even sure I can get to these 12, these 12 elements, but what I would say to you is like, when I've spoken with women who have um, sexual abuse, it's such a hot issue, right? Sexual abuse is, is to say that person could not have been in their right mind to do something like that. Yeah. And again, doesn't exonerate, doesn't excuse, doesn't condone, right? They cannot possibly have been in their right mind, right? And so here's the sick person. Okay. So the tolerance for me is certainly not about tolerating the behavior, but to recognize that there are sick people in the yes. world. Yes. Right. And could I say, could I come to any point where I would say there must be something really wrong with that person for them to think in any way that that would be okay. Well, right? I, I believe that for sure. A hundred, like I'm there, but even when you said that you're sorry, I, my left eye started tearing up. Like I felt that that's still there and that I'm not free of that. And I'm aware, like what you're saying, I know that he was not in his right mind. I know that he's paid a spiritual price for it because he could, he's never been back to AA. He couldn't stay sober. Right. And so the, and again, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm going to get so many calls. <laughs> the, <laughs> the pity, you know, the pity is, is like, I mean, it's a hard press. I mean, it's funny. This is almost like the wives chapter when we say cheerfully see him through some sprees. You know, the idea is that it, if I, if I'm angry, they don't pay that price. Right. I pay that price. Right. And so the, the point of compassion, I mean, it could maybe be a little more global, which is that, yeah, it, it, is, it is so sad that this is happening in the world that we live in. I mean, yeah. except it happened to you, so I don't wanna globalize it. You, you are hurting me right now. <laughs> um, but you know what? But here's the thing, so, okay, so let's go. You know what I would say is, you know how you were talking earlier about God knows these people to be perfect? Yeah. So at this point, I think I would have to say, like, 
I, I don't have the ability to pity this person. I don't have the ability to be patient or cheerfully or do any of this stuff, but I can ask God to do it. Yes. Right? The same way that I love ends- that you said that as a human, we might not even be able to keep, we might, there are people who have way scarier things like people whose children have been murdered by a, a drunk driver. Like we have things on here that are so much bigger. We have I know people in AA who have lost their children or spouses or family members to horrific things and they have to find forgiveness. It doesn't mean that they're excited about it, but they, and if as humans, as sponsors and as people along the path, we don't know how to guide someone through that. What we can say is what you just said. Say it again, that God can. Well, like say, for example, one of the things that always used to bug me is at the end of the 11th step, it said, we ask God's forgiveness. And I, that made me bristle with antagonism because I don't have the kind of God that I have to ask God's forgiveness because I haven't done something wrong. But what I started looking at it as I had to ask for God's forgiveness, like the kind of forgiveness that God has that I don't have. Like as a person who's petty and little and scorekeeping and only seeing things from my perspective, I need a broader view, right? So I need, you know, it does say we ask God to help us show them because like, I don't have that capacity. I am not that big, right? Yes. So, but I still need to get free, right? And the idea, especially, you know, when when there's sexual abuse or physical abuse or violence, something like that, you know, we, we typically would say, or I would typically say, please seek outside help. Yeah. And then bring what you learned back and help another woman, right? Or I would say, find somebody, you know, who you're sponsoring and say like, what do you, and just share ideas and say, I'm not healed with this. I'm looking for healing. Yes. What what have you learned? How can you help me get there? Right? Yeah. Because yeah, you're right. I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, cheerfully. And how can I be helpful to them? But I'll, I'll pin on God save me from being angry. Yes. Because the anger is just going to hurt me. And what's thy will be done? Like for me, I look at it, this is the equation I make. I wish I had a whiteboard. So God equals love and will equals thought. So God's will is just loving thought. Help me to show loving thought. And guess what? Maybe not to him, not to the perpetrator, but how about to the other women? Like there might be other women yes. who have so somehow here's the thing that's really cool about affected. I don't feel angry anymore. I feel um, sad that I was... I think the only anger I feel is that the people around me that didn't give me the right guidance mm-hmm. because I don't feel angry at that person because he was, he was sick. Um, I think I felt angry at the women I was around that I told my truth to because they didn't guide me the way I guide women today, which is you need to, for your own self, you need to use your voice and you need to, to take care of this. Um, you know, one of my teachers, Kevin, his daughter, who was 15, who was assaulted, she went and prosecuted her four rapists. And I remember getting that call from him and doing that 10 step when he first got that call. And I remember hearing about how courageous Kaylee was and she was 15 and I couldn't do that. And so what I can do today, the way I, what Sarah, my sponsor tells me to do when I feel pain about something like this is to empower myself, like you just said, by helping others. And so when women or men report to me a similar situation, we inventory it and pray about it and see if they're willing and ready to use their voice to help other people. And 
to use your voice to, you know, make it right and report about it. Because that was something that I walk around with. I think the pain I walk around with isn't about him. I think the pain I walk around with isn't even about the people that didn't guide me. I think the pain I walk around with is that I didn't get to use my voice back then the way that I would use it today. And what I'm hearing from you is that I am. I am getting to use my voice right now and with the women and, and people I get to work with. Well, and to, right, exactly. To use your experience of what happened to help somebody else. And because you have that, see, that's actually kind of the good news to me. You have that perspective, right? Yeah. Of not having prosecuted that person. So like, say, for example, if you're meeting with somebody who's, who's maybe thinking about it, you could say, okay, from the perspective of somebody who didn't, this is what it feels like. Go find somebody who did and find out what it feels like and then try to judge between the two. Like we can only yes. you know, help people with our experience. We're not making yes. this decision for them, but you've had an experience, yes. right? You know, we talked the other night at your meeting about like nothing is wasted in God's economy. Yes. We truly believe that. I mean, what were the words you used to describe it? You said something about... Um repurposed or recycled or well no you were using those words but that whole idea is like nothing is wasted like it, it can all be put to you yes, right yes. so i mean i am desperately sorry that that situation happened to you but here's the thing in a framework like we have process and procedure there's a way to work through it and there's other people around us you know, who similarly are working through it and trying to find a way through right yes the yes. way out and yes. so sitting there and talking with them and saying, okay, well, what, what have you learned? Because here's the thing, you know, you, you have a, you have a, an experience that's so valuable. I mean, it's obviously shaped, you know, some things about you and it's shaping things about other people, but at the very least to, to give it a voice and say, we don't have to be ashamed. I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. I didn't do anything wrong, you know? And again, it's a tricky resentment, right? Because people are like, oh, well, I'm justified in being angry with this. You know, I, yeah. and I can't forgive that. Mm, really? Because to me, I have to forgive it. I have to get to a place. And even if it's just saying, you know what, God, I'm putting it in your hands because yeah. I am not qualified for this. I, I love that. I am not qualified to handle this. You know, that brings I'm, us, I mean, that's exactly what I've learned from step 11, which is when I don't know how to do something, my answer isn't just to figure it out. My answer is to give it to God because I don't know what I'm doing. And that's okay. Absolutely. And also to get to the place where, you know, it helps you to be a more compassionate woman, right? To other women. Yes. Right? And say like, yes, I understand you. I mean, the freedom of sitting in front of another woman and saying me too yeah and watching the relief where they no longer feel alone with a secret that they desperately been holding and trying to process by well, themselves and to other men i think that's really important well, and because, men. yeah sure. not only that, that because of their experience but also like i'm raising three boys that are going to god willing be men that don't hurt other women um and my responsibility is that they also understand the stories of people who have not been treated well so they can understand what it, what it feels like. And what, I mean, I think that's a really big, you know, I, obviously we got on a huge topic right now, but I think it's a really important <laughs> responsibility as AA members that are recovered who are living a good life. I remember one of the most important things I heard a guy say to another guy in AA when he was going after a new girl and he knew it wasn't right and he was kind of pulling back was the guy that was recovered said to the newer guy, what if you were the first guy in this woman's life that didn't treat her like that 
And mm. the guy ended up making the right decision, in my experience. He sat back and was just her friend. And I love the power that we have in, in our lives, sexually as humans and as intimately as people, that we get to say, like, what if I'm the first person in someone's life that doesn't treat someone horribly? And not even just abusively, just like the way that we normally do as beings, like we're in the middle of our inventory, right? We're talking about resentment, but we're going to be going to sex soon. And we use other people. And so what if, what if, oh my goodness, as sober, recover people, we stop using other people for our own worth, for our own meaning, for our own needs. And it's just real, you know? So I think me and you could talk for like hours about this topic. We could, we could go on and on. I love you so much. Is there anything you want to close with? Gosh, I wish I had a joke or something because I feel like we, we no, were No, it's okay. I thing. want you to read that last sentence of that first real paragraph where, where it says we avoid retaliation. Will you read from We Cannot? On 67? Yeah, the we avoid retaliation argument. Yeah, read the sentence where it says we cannot be helpful. Yeah, we cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. I, mean, I love that's that solution. Joe, Joe McHugh talked about that. He said, if, if you're ever stuck and you don't know what to do, just be kind. Yeah. Like, just be kind. Just, just try. You can never go wrong. You can never go wrong. You can Nobody's never go wrong. Like, oh my gosh, Carly was so kind to me today. You're never going to be like, I wish I wasn't so kind today. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like in my inventory at the end of the night, I'm never like, oh, I was too kind. That was really, that was a little bit too much. Tomorrow I'll be less kind. Yeah. I, on my, on awakening, I need to draw back on that. Yes. I love you. Thank you so much for I love you time. so much. Let me, yeah, I'm so happy. You You've just like inspired so many ideas in me. And now I, I honestly, I'm not just saying this. When I get to 67, I'm going to think of you. Oh, thank you. Well, think of Dave, too. Seriously, because that's, to me, why I go to other conferences, and yeah. I want to hear nuggets. I want to hear what if other you can give me, If you can get me his information, I want him on here. And if people are listening right now, and they love the big book, message me and tell me. I'm, I'm on Facebook, Carly Israel Agan. Message me or go to North Star Big Book on Facebook and tell me you want to be on here, and I will schedule a time. I love this. Because I get to see it through your eyes. I love you. I love you too. Have Thanks an so awesome much, day. Okay. <laughs>